welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Write this, this thought down or this subject title down, revive the focus, revive the focus, experiencing Oneness. This is what we're going after today, okay? Going after this understanding of what it looks like to experience a deeper sense of oneness, not just saying that we're one, but experiencing it, expressing it. And to do that, we have to revive our focus, get our focus on track. When your focus is on track, what happens is that overflows into empowering specific areas of your life in demonstration. You've heard this before. What you focus on, you empower in your life. So if my focus is off, then guess what? I'm going to be empowering an off-balanced life. If my focus is on, I'm going to be empowering an on an, an on-expressed life. And what I mean by that, and that may not make sense to you, but what, I, what I'm trying to get to here is that I want to express that I'm on with God, that I'm on with Jesus, that I, that I am what I say I am. I'm not just saying I am in a relationship with Jesus. I'm showing you that I am in a relationship with Jesus. And this is not, you know, to promote like getting into this place of striving and works and trying to do, 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 do. No, what I'm talking about today is to realign our focus so that the doing happens as an overflow of a revived focus. Because some of us have gotten our focus off. And this quarantine has literally restabilized or recalibrated our focus and what we value in life. And hopefully one of the things that's it's recalibrated in our lives as, as a people of God is our, our revelation of how good he is of the, the power of the pursuit of getting to know him. You know, my heart as a pastor, as a leader, is that the church at large, not just our community, but at large people, I mean, I travel around the world ministering to people, and my heart is that we would get a revelation, a continual revelation, that God is a God of the 24-7. That he's not just a God of you coming and watching once a week, get your fix, tap that vein, you know, give you that high for, for the rest of the week, but that you would, literally, you would literally live in that high every day. You would live in that space every day, having a God consciousness. It's so easy during a season like this to have a, a self-consciousness, to be aware of your failures, to be aware of the things that aren't going well in life, to be aware of your fears, to be aware of your anxieties, to be aware of your struggles. It's very easy to have an awareness of that in seasons like this, to get into your head a little bit and to struggle and to wonder and all these what-if scenarios coming at you all the time. There's something that God wants to do in this season to give us more of a God consciousness. You know, sin has a way of bringing us into a self-consciousness. That's what happened to Adam in the garden. Because of a self-consciousness, a sin consciousness, he hid from God. Before sin, before all that stuff happened, he had a God 
consciousness. It says that he would walk in the cool of the day with God. God would walk in the cool of the day with man. There was this synergetic relationship, and that's, that's what God wants to restore. I remember I had, a, I had an encounter years ago. In 2006, I was in Connecticut at a church, and I, it was a fairly large church, and um, there was over about 1,000 people in the, in the church at the time. And I remember I was on stage, and uh, I had this open vision while I was in this, this, this church service, I had this open vision and I saw this fireman's pole shoot down from the roof, like a fireman's pole, like firemen would go down, you know, traditionally. This fireman's pole shoot down from the roof and I saw all of these angels, like thousands of angels come down this fireman's pole, like in an emergency state. And they, they were carrying these like wreath-like crowns. They looked like um, uh, wreaths, but they were crowns, but they were made out of, you know, like the material that you'd see like a wreath made out of, like greens and leaves and stuff like that. And they had these wreath-like crowns, and these angels were dispersing these crowns on the people. They were putting these crowns on the people. I had this, this flash open vision. It was really powerful. It really, really just, uh, it, it wrecked me, and it, and it really impacted me in that moment. And God spoke to me out of that as I asked them, what are these crowns? What, like, what, what's happening here? And he said to me, Sean, I'm releasing the garden mentality back on the people. This mentality of God consciousness before sin. This God consciousness, this God awareness, this focus on the presence of God. Because when there's a focus on the presence of God, oneness is demonstrated. Oneness is expressed. Oneness is experienced. It's not enough just to say, I, like I've said, I am in Christ, Christ is in me. I want to experience the overflow of that oneness in my everyday. Real Bible faith, okay? Not faith that you've heard about, you know, on TV maybe or from your neighbors. Real biblical faith is experiencing everything you say you believe. That is a reality. It's not just enough to say I believe. I want to experience what I say I believe. And I'm going to pursue and I'm going to go after everything that God has promised me. I'm going to believe for it. I'm going to believe in it until I see the manifestation of it. And even if it brings me to the edge of my deathbed, even on the day that I'm going to die, I'm going to choose to continue to be persuaded by God that God is faithful no matter what. Listen, you always will have more negative in your life by erring on unbelief than you will ever on erring on being persuaded that God is continually good, faithful to his promises, and things that he's promised you in the word or in your life will happen. So I believe this in this season, God is reviving our focus. He's reviving our understanding of oneness. Now, let me just read the same scripture in verse 10, chapter 3 out of Philippians, out of a different translation. I want to break it down a little bit more, then we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper, okay? Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him. This is Paul's prayer. This is out of a different translation, the New King James Version, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, that I may know him. This is Paul's prayer. I want to know him. I want to know you. 
I want to know you. I want to know you in a real way. This word for know literally means through personal experience. This is not a knowing about God. It's very different to know about God. You could study this book all you want. You could know about God and not know God. Okay, the Pharisees, the Sadducees knew about God, but then God showed up in a body called Jesus and they rejected him. They totally missed him, okay? So it's not just enough to know about God. Even Jesus rebuked them and said, listen guys, like you think you find life studying the scripture every day. You're memorizing it, you know it. You, 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 you live like you know the word at some level, but you have rejected the very word himself, me. Your lips offer me you know, worship, but your hearts are far away. In a sense, you're hypocritical. You're like whitewashed tombs, he says, full of dead man's bones. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dying. There's a disconnect there. So we don't want to just know about God. We want to know God in relationship. This was Paul's heart. This word for know, like I've said, is to know by personal experience, okay? Let me just break it down a little bit further. It's the same word that Mary used, as a virgin, Mary used in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, when the angel came and said that she was going to be with child, and the doorbell just rang, she's going to be with child, okay, um, and uh, <laughs> doorbell, <laughs> this is what happens when you're doing a live cast in a house, um, but the word for no, when Mary said, how will I be with child? when I don't even know a man. In the sense of, I have not had sexual intimacy with the man. That word for no was translated as, I have not been one, or I have not become one with a man. I have not had sexual intercourse to even have a baby. How can I be with child, okay? She wasn't even married yet, okay? That same word for no is the same word we're talking about. Why do I connect those two? Because the kind of knowing that Paul is talking about is the kind of knowing that, 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 that is produced by intimacy or that experience is produced through intimacy. So it's intimacy that produces a real life experience that brings multiplication in our life, okay? That's the kind of knowing that Paul is, is, is desiring, okay? He says, I wanna I want know him and I wanna know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. This word for conform or in some translations would be translated as oneness. I will become one with his sufferings like I read earlier in the Passion Translation. This word actually, okay, is it means this. It means together with, okay, or it means sharing the same form from embodying the same inner essential reality, okay? It, it, it's sharing the same form from embodying the same inner essential reality. So Paul's heart is, I wanna so be intimately acquainted with knowing you, Jesus, experiencing you, your power in my life, but even more so, I wanna be conformed or I want to be one with or I want to express through my life that knowing by understanding suffering, by understanding what you went through. And in that place, there will be this union that comes through death in the sense of like letting go of my old life, my, my past, 
There is an element of the context of the scripture, if you read verse 11, talking about the one day we'll have our resurrected bodies. That's a separate conversation. But in this main verse, I want to highlight this. What happens is there's, there's this knowing that actually manifests, okay, in our life, like everything that was before is gone, and I've embraced entirely the new. This is the new creation reality that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says, the old has gone, the new has come. I am a new creation in Christ. If you've let Jesus into your life, you are a new creature. You're a new species. You're a heavenly species, okay? You're a heavenly creature now. You've let Jesus in, so the old you is gone. That old you that brought destruction, that was addicted, that was messed up, it's gone. It's been severed. You may feel like, well, I still feel like it's there. That's the thing. Every day we're being renewed into the reality that the new you is present and the old you is gone. Your mind is to be renewed into this reality every day. You don't have to live like the old you anymore. You get to live. You get to live in the new you that God has created in you. Now, this is, you know, what I'm talking about is revive our focus today, experiencing oneness. Part of reviving our focus is getting a hold of this, this verse that I've just broken down, hopefully clearly to you. Part of reviving our focus and experiencing oneness is about getting a hold of the passion that Paul has in this passage of knowing him, his power, being conformed into his death, you know, having a fellowship of suffering, understanding this, what Paul is, is describing here. Part of reviving our focus is getting a hold of that. But we have to understand two realities within that that I want to break down for you. And number one is it's the jealousy of God, okay? The jealousy of God, understanding that God is jealous. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, God is described as a jealous God, not in the way that we would probably think jealousy. You know, we think jealousy often as potentially a negative thing. We often connect it to envy, but it's quite different. But we think, you know, I'm jealous of someone's life or I'm jealous of they have a nicer car than I do. I'm jealous that they get to go on a trip and I don't or I'm jealous or some would, you know, maybe use the word envy. And although they're different, we, uh, most people out there don't have an understanding of the jealousy of God, okay? And in this understanding of the jealousy of God, I believe it sets us free. It gives us an understanding of the desire of God for our lives, okay? So Deuteronomy 4 says that he's a jealous God. Exodus 34, verse 14, in, in connecting this to one of the commandments of God, that you shall have no other God before me, one of the Ten Commandments, no other God before me, okay? This is a, another, another a reflection of that in Exodus chapter 34, the second time that God gave the law, verse 14, says, for you shall, you shall actually, I'm going to read it out of the New, New, Trans, New Living Translation, out of my Bible here. In verse 14 of Exodus chapter 34, it says this, you must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is jealous, so his name is jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. I love that. You must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is jealous, his name is jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. He's jealous of his relationship with you. Okay, now this is not in context to him being jealous because you're married, okay? You have a wife, you have a husband. It's not in context of his relationship to 
your relationships with friends and coworkers. This is a jealousy in context to anything in your life that is taking the place of God. Now, those actually could be your relationships, but taking the place of God in your life, taking all of your affection, all of your attention, anything that stands in the way of God being first. You know, worship is not just, you know, singing a song, lifting your hands and worshiping, you know, uh, you know worshiping an idol. Worship. You could be worshiping money and not even realize it by putting all your stock in, in, uh, in, in you know, trying to control everything and, and be afraid that you're not going to have enough and be anxious about money all the time. Whatever you're most anxious about in life often is a representation of what actually you're worshiping in life. Now, that's a heavy truth, but it's, it's a reality. Whatever you are most focusing on, you are meditating on, therefore, you are actually, in a sense, worshiping, okay? So many people are worshiping unbelief. We're worshiping money. We're worshiping fear, and we don't even realize that. I'm not talking about having the temptation of fear, feeling fear. I'm talking about if you're meditating on this all the time, and you're always in this place, this inner turmoil of fear, 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 anxiety, 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 money, 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 I'm not going to have enough, and fear, lack, all this kind of stuff, then you're probably at some level worshiping it, and it doesn't mean your hands are raised, you're on your knees, you're praying to it, but it's occupying first place in your life. Whatever is occupying first place in your life is, in a sense, a God, and so you know, God is saying, listen, I'm jealous for your attention. I'm jealous for you. I want all of you. I, I don't want these other things to stand in the way of my relationship with you. I created you with a purpose. I created you to know me. I created you. And let me just break this down a little bit out of Exodus 34, verse 14, because the word jealousy, okay, is a word that means to be zealous for, okay? It means Something that moves God. It moves God, okay? This is not describing an emotion, but it's describing an action, okay? So the jealousy of God that we see here in Exodus, see here in Deuteronomy, comes from a word in the Hebrew that describes not an emotion, a feeling of jealousy, but an action of jealousy, okay? Now let me break this down a little further. It is the visual, listen to this, of a bird watching over the eggs and young with jealousy. So it's like a mama bird, daddy bird, whatever, you know, eagle, use eagle for example. It is this visual of a bird who has young in a nest and she's jealous to make sure that nothing else comes in and robs, okay, takes away the young from the mother or from the father. That's the kind of jealousy that we're talking about. It's the kind of jealousy that wants to protect that wants to stand in the way, that wants to defend, okay? So it's a visual of a bird watching over her eggs and young with jealousy. The action, not an emotion, defending them from the enemy, preventing any other bird from entering the nest. This is the kind of jealousy that God has for you, for a relationship with you. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. I'm not going to read verse 1, but verse 2, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, he says this, Paul, the apostle, same guy that wrote Philippians, is writing to the church at Corinth saying this, for I am, a je I am jealous for you. Paul said this, okay? He was a spiritual father. I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself, okay? So I'm feeling what God feels for you as a father, 
I'm feeling what he feels towards you as a father. I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband Christ. Now, for those of you who have never heard that term before, we often through scripture are called the bride of Christ. We as the body of Christ, okay, the global church, okay, the community of Jesus, not just local, but the global, the big C church, okay, is called the bride of Christ. You can read it in Ephesians, that God is gonna come back, Jesus is gonna come back for a spotless bride. So he is pictured as the groom, in, in scripture, and we are pictured as the bride, okay? And our relationship, our relationship uh, with our spouse, that's why it's a reflection in Ephesians chapter five of our relationship with God. It's an intimacy that produces fruit. What's the fruit of the spirit? You can read Galatians five. Something that's intimate that produces something good. Okay, so our relationship as one with our spouse is to be reflected or as a reflection of the relationship that we are called to have with God. I mean, even the charge over the man. God said, as a man, love your wife as, in Ephesians 5, I think it's 5.19, love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. So this, this illustration of marriage really is a reflection or is connected to this idea or understanding of what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. It's oneness. When you get married and you become one with your spouse, okay, that oneness produces something. When you are one with God and you've let Jesus into your life and you're in relationship with God, that oneness produces something. This is what we're talking about. So Paul says, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. In other words, I don't want you as the bride of Christ to be, you know, worshiping this God over here, worshiping this God over here. It's like, I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of Buddha. I like a little bit of Muhammad. I like a little bit of the Hindu gods out there. I like a little, no, this is the thing. Jesus is jealous. He wants all of you. He wants all of your attention, okay? You may be in that space of searching and I like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Here's the thing. Jesus, his design for you, his heart for you is that you would have one focus and that would be him. And this was what Paul was wrestling against. These guys were distracted by all kinds of things, all kinds of other gods, all kinds of uh, affection takers, you know, in a sense. And, and, and these false teachers that were coming in and trying to get them off track. And so Paul comes in as a spiritual dad saying, listen, the dad, the most spiritual dad out there wants all of you. He wants your attention. Listen to what it says in verse three. But I fear, this is Paul, Paul saying this, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid that you're divided on the inside. I'm afraid that your focus is divided. I'm afraid that you're just kind of like a, you know, a Sunday morning believer, that you're not an everyday believer. I'm afraid that other things in your life are taking you off track. I'm afraid that some things in your life that, you're, you're, you know, that you don't even realize you're worshiping is destroying your life. I'm afraid. He said, I'm afraid that your undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. He brings it back to the beginning. This is how everything got off track. There was once a time when Adam and Eve were 100% God conscious. 
They were, their focus was 100% all in. They were living out that oneness. There was nothing. They had the garden mentality. The garden mentality. They, they wore those, those wreath-like crowns that I was talking about. They were walking with God in the cool of the day. There was this friendship with God. There was this undivided focus, undivided attention. And then sin came in and became a wall. Shame hid them. They wanted to hide from God. They got their, their, their focus divided. Remember, the serpent came in and tried to get, put a wedge in between man and God by saying, did God really say, like, come on, Eve, like, did God really say that you can't eat off of that tree? Like, it's kind of like a half-truth. Did God really say, I mean, it doesn't mean you're really going to die. It doesn't mean you're going to die today if you eat the fruit. Did God really say, God just is scared because now you're going to have knowledge of good and evil, and you're going to be like him. And in a sense, the serpent was right. In a sense, because God had an awareness of good and evil. That's why there was a tree representing good and evil. God had an awareness. God cast Satan down. I mean, he had an awareness, but man didn't. All they had was a God consciousness. But this is what I'm trying to say. God is releasing the the garden mentality on the people. Back on the people. God is releasing the garden mentality back on the people. This mentality of and focus of God consciousness. So we're not so focused on the things that are trying to take us out were focused on him. Those things just begin to fall off. Those things, as we begin to move forward towards him, so he, the Hebrew writer says it, if you, if you keep your eyes focused, that sin that so easily entangles you will just begin to break away because you're running towards something, not from something, okay? So we need to understand the jealousy of God. Now, I had this dream. I actually had two encounters. I had two encounters 10 years ago in June and July in 2010. And June 27th of 2010, 10 years ago, I had this encounter. I'm not going to go through all of the the dream for you, but it described to me what I'm talking about to you today. It described to me the jealousy of God. I felt the jealousy of God in the dream. And in the dream, I saw this seducing, seductive, demonic spirit attack the global church. I saw it attacking the global church. I saw it attempting the church. I saw it tempting the church, the, the bride of Christ, okay? And this spirit was coming in to offer all kinds of, you know, um, all, all kinds of things that, you know, we as humans would, would like and desire and to trying to get our attention off. And in the dream, I remember the, 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 the spirit was offering like these keys, and you know what keys do they? They unlock doors, and, and offering all these keys, and they were the wrong keys, and, and I, in the dream, I actually, in the dream, could feel the heart of Jesus. I could feel the jealousy. In my dream, I represented uh, Jesus, and I could feel his heart. I could feel his heart breaking for his bride, his heart breaking for his church, that, that the seducing spirit was coming in to, to sway the church and to remove the church off the right path, and then the first thing that was attacked in the dream was the, pri- was the private life. And I saw this room where it felt like almost like what the Bible describes as a secret place where we go into to pray. It's like our prayer life, our, our personal prayer life with God. And the first attack was on the prayer life and, and the door was open and I saw how the seducing spirit had come in and distracted people from having a focused prayer life, a focused uh, um, you know, undivided 
uh, uh, focus on him in, in their private time. I saw how the seducing spirit w- w- was distracting the church. And then the next thing I saw was three credit cards. And I'm not going to, like I said, go into all the detail, but three credit cards were taken, were stolen. And the first one was the personal credit card. The second one was the family credit card. Or sorry, the first one was the family credit card. Second one was the personal credit card. And the third credit card that was stolen was the ministry credit card. And this, these, the, the, wallet, the wallet speaks of like um, uh, what's most important in a sense. The wallet speaks of um, your ability to transact, to live life. And the enemy, the seducing spirit, came and stole these three credit cards. Basically what this was meaning that he was attacking the credibility of your personal life, attacking the credibility of your family life, and ultimately taking the credit of your away from your ministry life. Every one of you is called to ministry. Everyone is called to, is called to express ministries, to minister to people, to express the oneness of God in your life. Everyone is called, has a calling that's watching right now. Whether you know it or not, whether you're on a journey or not, you're all called to express the, that creative image of God that he's put on your life. And this is the things that are attacked when our attention gets divided. These are the things that get attacked, our personal life, our family life, our ministry, our calling, our purpose in life. The enemy wants to rob you of all credibility. The credit card speaks of credibility, okay? And so this is this, this dream really impacted me. And I remember in the dream, I was like weeping in the dream. Like I could feel the jealousy of God. I could feel the jealousy of God. And I feel like in this season, one of the things that God is highlighting to us, the areas of our life, that are dividing our focus. The areas of our life that are killing our focus. This is why we're talking about God reviving our focus today. When our focus is revived and we have a right focus, we begin to live out of that oneness. We begin to experience that oneness that God wants us to experience, that knowing him and the power of his resurrection in life. That's the first thing we really need to understand in this season is the jealousy of God. The second thing, the last thing we need to understand is what I call the yada of God, okay? And I have shared this um, in messages many times in the last 10 years, but it was about uh, not only, just over a week after I had this first encounter on June 27, 2010, with this, the jealousy of God in my dream, about just over a little bit of over, over a week later on July 4th on Independence Day, Okay, I had another encounter, which I believe connected to the first one. And it was in a dream, but it was more in uh, as I began to wake up. So what happened was, is I, on July 4th, 2010, I was in my, you know, I was sleeping. And Michelle actually told me what had happened, because I don't remember this. I don't remember, I remember I was having a dream about God at some level, but I don't remember what the dream was about. And I was, apparently I woke up in a frenzy. I don't remember this. Michelle told me this afterwards and I wrote it down. I I woke up in a frenzy and I was like, you know, moving the sheets around and I was like, we got to focus on this. We got to focus on this. We need to focus on this. I kept saying it. We need to focus on this. We need to focus on this. And Michelle has learned over the years to actually inquire when I'm sleep talking. So we're having this, we have, sometimes we have these conversations that I have no idea we're having, but she's learned to pull stuff out of me in the night. And so she asks me, while I'm having this encounter, and I'm saying we need to focus on this, she says, need to focus on what? And I said this out of my mouth, the yada. I said it three times, the yada, the yada. And then I said, after that I said, becoming one with God. 
becoming one with God. I said we need to focus on the yada, the yada, the yada, becoming one with God. Now, I had no idea that this word yada was a very, is a very profound Hebrew word found in the scripture. You know, you read it in the Old Testament. Now, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, recount some, some scriptures to you to kind of relate back to what I'm saying. Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, Moses has this cry to know God's glory. He says, and now, he says in verse 13, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. That I may know you. He says, show me now your way that I may know you. To know you is to know your way. To know your way is to know you. I want to know you, God. That word in the Hebrew is the word yada. I want to yada you, okay? And now let me just break this down a little further, okay? Another place we find the same word is in Genesis 4, verse 1, where it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and bore a son named Cain. This word yada is the word new, which means it's, it's actually describing sexual intimacy again. It's the kind of knowing that produces fruit, okay? This is the desire of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I want to know you in an intimate experience so that it produces something of value. I want to experience your goodness. I want to not just perceive it. I want to perceive it and experience something powerful. We read it again in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. One of my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord, it says, with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge me and he'll make your path straight. So this word yada is found in this word acknowledge. In all of your journeys, the word is journeys actually, or in seasons, in all of your paths in life, acknowledge me. So in all of your ways, yada me and you'll walk straight. So how do you walk straight? When you yada me. How do you yada me? Uh, on, 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 on your journey in life? How do you yada God? When you put him center, when you make intimate experience the focus, when you have a revived focus, you experience oneness, and when you experience oneness, you walk straight in life. So all of the reasons why you would ever walk crooked are a result of a lack of focus, a lack of understanding, a lack of putting God first, making him one with, uh, or, or, or putting the, that oneness as a, uh, as a focus, or making intimate experience your, your pursuit. When you don't have that, you'll walk crooked. But when you have that in all of your journeys, in all of your ways, yada me and you'll walk straight. We need to focus on the yada. Yada is, remember, it's a word that describes uh, an intimate connection that produces something, an intimate experience that you actually, some translations or some definitions of this word yada in the Hebrew would describe it as um, uh, uh, an intimate experience through sight, okay? An intimate experience through sight. And so this is what we're talking about, the yada of God. We need to understand the, 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 the jealousy of God, but also understand the yada of God in this pursuit of having a revived focus. When we understand, when we understand that it is God's plan for us to know him in a real way and we begin to pursue him, it changes our focus. It changes the things that come out of our life. It changes the fruit that comes out and through our, our lives. I remember I was living in Alaska in 2004 and I had this encounter with a Russian Orthodox priest. 
And um, you know, I had went to this 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 thing, and I had met him after, and uh, you know, he's wearing the whole you know the 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 black garb, the you know the, the big hat and everything. And I remember talking to this guy. This was like in the hills of Alaska, in Homer, Alaska. And I remember in that experience, I told him, I said, I can feel the holiness of God off of you. It's like I could feel the tangible holiness of God. Up until that point in my life, I had never experienced what I experienced like I did that, that day with this Russian Orthodox priest. And I left that encounter with this Russian Orthodox priest, and I had this, like, visitation that lasted hours and hours that day. Of I could feel the fear of God on my life. I could feel the holiness of God. I could feel like there was something just so sweet and so real. It was like I just discovered a new side of God that I had never discovered before. It's like a new side of who he was. In that, on that day, on that day, I had a yada moment where I had an intimate encounter with God that produced long-lasting fruit in my life. It changed my perspectives on so many levels. It changed my, the fruit of my life. It changed my pursuits in life because I had a yada moment. It changed my ability to demonstrate that oneness. It, 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 just, it just shifted something inside of me. It renewed my thinking. It renewed my mind. And these are the things that we have in our lives. We have these moments, these encounter moments where we yada him. And it changes the trajectory of our path. It changes, it sweeps away some of the stuff that's maybe on our path. Maybe we begin to walk crooked a little bit, but because we begin to focus on the yada, because we have an understanding of the jealousy of God, because we have a desire to pursue God and know him and the power of his resurrection, it just does something to our relationship. And I I believe this morning, for many of you out there listening, and we're almost done, that this is a season where, God wants to deepen your roots in relationship with him. He wants to deepen and strengthen that connection that you have with him. He wants to open your eyes in a new way. My prayer, when we do these things, I mean, it's different not being with people, you know, not, not sharing this moment with people in the natural. It's very different. But my, I believe in this, in this season that God wants to so radically encounter you that it changes you from the inside out. He wants to revive your focus. He wants to shift your focus. He wants your undivided attention in this season. If you would give him your undivided attention in this season, you're gonna come out of it stronger. I know for me, I had a six-month season when I first had my encounter with God at 18 years old. I had a six-month season right after that for four four to eight hours a day. God had my undivided attention, and it transformed my life. I don't know how long we're going to be in this season for. I don't know how long we're going to be in Ontario on this quarantine. But I do know that you have the ability to pull the best that you can out of this season, especially in your relationship with God, that you could come out of this season stronger. And as a result, you know, your marriage is stronger. Your kids are stronger. Your co-working relationships get stronger. Your career focus gets stronger. Whatever it is, that comes as a result, that that oneness, that oneness with God begins to be demonstrated in all those areas of your life as you get stronger in your relationship with God. I wanna pray for you. If you're watching, you've never let Jesus into your life. You don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today. It's just a simple opening of the heart. You know, Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. It's God's design 
for you to know him. You were predestined to know him. You were predestined to find your purpose in him, to have a real relationship. I'm not talking about religion here. I'm talking about a relationship with God, interaction, communion with God, real deal intimacy with God that produces something that you cannot deny and that those around you cannot deny. That's what I'm talking about this morning. And so if you have never let Jesus into your life, I want to encourage you just to say yes today, to let him into your life, to let him into the forefront as first place in your life. Maybe uh, you're watching and you feel like in this last season, you've had a divided focus. You've kind of been up and down. You've kind of been all over the place. Maybe this quarantine has, you know, revealed stuff in your life that you realized that you did not know before. And maybe it's realizing, it's making you realize that you've been living a divided life, a living a life on the fence. You can only live a life on the fence for so long before it begins to really hurt your life. And I want to encourage you, this is a season of getting off the fence. It's a season of making the decision and being all in in your relationship with God. And maybe you're watching today and this is just an encouragement, a little boost in your life, a little bit more energy in your life to have a revived focus to change some things that maybe are out of whack in your life and put Jesus back at the center of your life. He's that good. He's that worth it. I'm telling you, it will change everything when he's number one. Everything changes when he's number one. Him as number two, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be challenging. It's not gonna work out. But him as number one changes everything.